the premise of this whole series is we find breathing room in our life because so many of us are like, we live out at the margins with our finances and with our time and our relationships, and we have no, uh, we have no breathing room in our spiritual life and in our everyday life because everything is spiritual. And um, we, we begin to build in breathing room when we clarify what's central. So the key to finding margin in life is not freeing up uh, room at the edges necessarily. That happens naturally when we realize, as Jesus says in Matthew 6.33, that we're to seek first the kingdom of God and God's righteousness And then all the other stuff will be added to us. So God promises always to take care of our margins if we will put him first and keep him central in our life. And so, and it's been so interesting, like Marie Kondo and Tidying Up have sort of swept the Netflix world. At this point, everybody has watched that. Like she's tapping into something that's very uh, profound at the beginning of the year. And it's this idea that our lives are super stressed and we want a new beginning, and we want margin, and uh, even that, she's tapping into it. And so the woman this week scraping her windshield going 40 miles an hour down the, the Canadian equivalent of the Mass Pike is just incredible. Like, that's where a lot of us live our life. It's like, you know, people, I've, you know, you go to, we got a ticket in Manhattan this last year because I was holding my phone trying to figure out exactly where I was supposed to turn. I was just using the GPS and we got pulled over and got a sweet $100 ticket. I'm like, really? Like, I've seen people reading the paper, shaving and smoking a cigarette at the same time <laughs> driving. But because I'm holding my phone at a red light, I'm going to get a $100 ticket. Seemed a little unfair, but hey, that's, uh, that's how the world works. Let me pray for us uh, and then we're going to talk about creating breathing room in our schedules today. God, I thank you for that song that we just sang. Um, That song is a thousand years old. A thousand years ago, that song was written. And God, our world is so fast-paced that what came out a month ago is so often cliche and old and yesterday's news. But God, your kingdom doesn't move. It doesn't Uh, change its state. God, what was true of you uh, at the beginning of time is true of you today, and it will be true into eternity. And so help us when it comes to our schedules and our pace and our busyness, help us, God, first of all, just to slow our hearts down right now in this moment. Help me slow down my heart so that even as we go through the Bible today, if there's stuff in these notes that's just extra or that would put a yoke of guilt or burden on anyone, God, I pray that you would, that I would be listening enough, still enough in my heart that we could get it out of the message so that we walk out of here hearing how loved we are in Christ, how free we are in Christ, and how we don't have to run around as slaves to our schedule. Jesus, we love you. We get before you right now. We ask that you speak to our hearts. In your name we pray. Amen. So Johns, uh, Johns Hopkins University came out not too long ago with a study that said that our busyness is doing three things to us at least. One, it kills our brain matter. Our busyness is literally killing our brain matter, uh, the gray matter in our brains. Two, it's manipulating our cortisol, which causes depression. 
So our level of busyness as a culture in our country is causing us depression. I mean, it ruins our sleep, which leaves us exhausted, cranky, less morally aware, less productive, all of those things. So on, on, one, on one level, you've got one of the most uh, well-respected hospitals in America saying this is killing your brains, your moods, and your sleep, and all the effects that come with that. Then the Harvard Business Review came out with a study that said that Americans, there's something built into, I don't know if it's our Puritan worldview or if it's sort of the pull yourself up from the bootstraps or whatever it is, but Americans celebrate and even appreciate and esteem a certain level of busyness. To be busy uh, feels important to most Americans. In fact, to be busy uh, equals success high status, and being upwardly mobile. At the same time, to be not busy uh, indicates mediocrity. It seems to us as Americans, there's something in our worldview that to be not busy seems like failure or failure is on the way. It seems unimpressive. It seems immobile. And so here's, we've got two uh, incredibly, I mean, these aren't just some, you know, random poll on the streets. These are highly respected universities uh, conducting studies, and, uh, and they are telling us that our lack of time, our lack of breathing room in our schedules are both killing us and, at the same time, running our relationships, and they're also the thing we esteem and value. It's like, I love you and I hate you. Have you ever had a relationship like that? Like when I was dating, I had a couple of girlfriends. Like, I love you and I hate you at the same time. That's what our busyness is doing to us. It is killing us and ruining our relationships. And at the exact same time, we hold it up as this is very American to live this way. This is good and valuable and you become our hero. That seems ironic. That doesn't, as my grandma would say, that doesn't pass the smell test. Like something about that stinks. And yet that is where... Uh, we live our lives. So if I had to think of another name, today the name of the sermon, if we name them, is um, finding the time. But if we had to have a second name, it would be busy schedules, busy hearts. Because we have busy schedules, but the bigger problem is not our schedule. The bigger problem is the busyness of our hearts. And so I want to ask you, is your schedule today too busy? Like if we all pulled out our calendars on our phones, how busy is your life? How busy, even better question, how busy is your heart? I'm coaching a guy uh, who's planting a church in another neighborhood in Boston. And one of the things that we worked through this week, he had to create two pie charts. I don't know if you're nerds who like to do stuff like that. He is. So this was a helpful exercise for him. He's a visual processor. And on one pie chart, he had to write down how he's currently spending his time. On the other pie chart, he had to talk about how he would be spending his time if he were spending it optimally. And we looked and we were like, okay, here's where there's lack of alignment. And he figured out the low moment for him, by the way, was when he, when he realized that he was spending 5% of his life in traffic in Boston. And uh, he's like, whew, that's, that's really depressing. And yet that's life in Boston, you know, like, and he probably has it better than some other people. And so the question for him is not just, how busy is your schedule? But is the busyness of your schedule causing your heart to be so busy that it's creating a lack of faith and productivity in other areas? And so if you've got a Bible today, we're going to see what God has to say to us about our schedules. Turn to Psalm 90. If you want to get a paper Bible uh, back there, if you 
Uh, grab a large print one if you want because the page number is 551. If you're not sure where Psalms is, just grab your Bible and go right to the middle. Uh, Psalms is the middle book. We're trying to teach our boys that at the house right now as we read. As a family, we're reading one psalm a night. And so today we're going to look at Psalm 90. And uh, we're going to look at the first four verses. And if you're doing a paper Bible, just kind of dog ear that page. And we're going to come back and look at three more verses in it in a little bit. Uh, let's begin with verse 1, if we can. In the paper Bible, it's page 551, uh, Psalm 90, beginning in verse 1. This is a, actually a prayer of Moses. Uh, so Moses is given credit for writing this. Lord, you've been our dwelling place in all generations. You've been our dwelling place or you've been our refuge in all the generations. Before the mountains were brought forth or ever you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return man to dust and say, return, O children of man, for a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it's past or as a watch in the night. Now, the first thing I want us to see today, and we've got, I think there's four slides I'm going to put up today. Renee, if you'll, oh, if you'll put up the first one. Scott, sorry. Renee was getting a refill on coffee. I did that to you. That was dirty. I waited until you moved, and I told you. The first big thing, and this is coming up in most of the weeks, is that God is limitless, but we have limits. And, and so if we can think of our time and our money and our relationships like it's this, the top of this table, God has no edges. He has no limits, but we as human beings do. And so he's limitless in love. He's limitless in power and in knowledge. The theological words for that are that God is omnipotent, he's all-powerful, that God's omniscient, he's all-knowing, that God is omnipresent, that he can be in all places at one time. It's not that God is, you know, that tree or that leaf or the Boston Harbor, but it's that God's spirit is everywhere. There's nowhere that he can't be in any moment or in any situation. He's everywhere. And another great word for God is that he's transcendent. He is other than us. He's outside of all of this. And so we see this in the scripture where it says, before the mountains were brought forth, or you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. From eternity on this side to eternity on this side, God, you are, you were, and you will be. God has no margins. God doesn't need breathing room. He is limitless. Uh, or uh, the most, the Arguably four of the most powerful verses in the Bible, certainly not the most powerful, but four of the most powerful are Genesis 1-1, the first four verses. It says, in the beginning, God. In other words, there was a beginning once upon a time, and before the beginning, there was God. God is beyond uh, time. He, uh, it says, for a thousand years in your sight, in verse 4, are but as yesterday. A thousand years are like yesterday to God when it's past, or it's like a watch of the night. A thousand years are like a watch of the night to God. But man, like we, we're so fast-paced and rushed. It's like, what did I do Monday? Whew, I can't even remember that. It's like an eternity ago. For God's nothing. It's nothing. He has no limits, and time goes beyond. Uh, time. He created time. So C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity, in a chapter called Time and Beyond Time, talks about how God is bigger than time, how God's the creator of time. He is outside of time. And I think it's in that book that he uses the illustration that we are like one-dimensional line people, 
So we see time only in lines, you know, and so today we are here. But last week on the line, we were here. And if God lets us live 10 more years on the little line in 10 years, we'll be over here. We operate and we think along the line of time. God doesn't. In our one-dimensional time world, God is a three-dimensional being. That's how he's omnipresent and all-knowing because he's bigger than time and he's outside of time and he can see all of it at once, which blows my one-dimensional line mind. But it comforts me to know that the God who is that powerful when it comes to time is also limitless in love and grace, and knowledge, not just of the arc of history, but of the arc of my life and your life. God is limitless, not just in how he sees time, but in his love and in his knowledge. God doesn't need breathing room because he has no limits or boundaries. But look at verse 3. Verse 3 says, Now you return man to dust and say, Return, O children of man. One of our dear friends was buried yesterday. She's 34 years old. Three small children. Um, When stuff like that happens in our life, it reminds us that we will not live forever. Typically, I like to think I'm going to live forever. You know what I mean? Like, I just think I'm going to be 100 years old, and I'm just going to, the brakes are going to go out, and I'm going off the cliff with Natalie in the car, like, and we're going out together, like, and it's going to be fantastic. But the Bible says that we were made from dust and we will return to dust. We, unlike God, have limits. Even to the number of days that we will live, we return to dust. Verse 4, for a thousand years are in your your sight are but as yesterday when it's past. God doesn't have those kind of limits. For us, we feel crunched for time. Thursday, I try to be done with work at like 5.30. And my off day is Friday. So Thursday is my Friday. And Thursday was like a sprint to the finish. And, uh, and I raced to the finish line to roll into the weekend. And I had my calendar. And I always, I don't know if you do this, on Sunday I write out all the things I've got to do during the week. And I showed Natalie Thursday. I was like so proud. It's like a kid bringing home a paper with three gold stars. I was like, look, babe, I checked this box, this box, this box, this box, this box, this box, and this box. Today I was so proud of all I had accomplished um, we have limits, and God reminds we feel crunched for time. We feel at times like there's no margin. We're living on the edges because God has made us with limits. We're born, we age, we deny it, we try to cover it up, but we're reminded uh, too often, and we feel it. Monday night, we were walking through the neighborhood. A couple of you already heard the story. Uh, I, right in front of the funeral home on Bunker, I was like, we're going to walk up this side of Bunker. It was Nat and I, it was late, it was like four degrees or whatever it was. We were dying, and uh, we're trying to get to our house. And I realized, like, okay, there's ice up here. I'm watching this way. Uh, I said, we need to cross Bunker now and go up this side. It's, it's clear. We're not going to fall. That was prophetically wrong. Uh, at that moment, while I was looking this way and this way and went to pivot, I stepped on a manhole and I fell, but I didn't fall like in a graceful way. I fell like in a home alone. Do you remember Marv and Harry trying to get in the house? And it's like, whoop, my, like my legs are above my head in this moment and 
bam, I'm holding these posters that we had gotten, and like they're laying in the water. Natalie's like, oh no, babe. And Natalie, God love her, she does two things in that moment because she loves awkward situations. She's trying to hold it together. Oh no, babe, are you okay? But I know in her heart she's dying laughing. She's dying laughing. Like she is doing everything she can not to laugh at her husband. And I was fine. Like, uh, but it's Sunday, and if I do that today, I can still feel that fall from Monday night because I'm aging. Now, 20 years ago, I fall like that literally. I'm like rubber. I bounce right up. I mean, one move, legs up, hit the ground, bounce up, start walking, don't feel a thing the next day. Today, it takes me a week to recover from stuff like that. I'm aging. I will return to dust one day. I have limits on my life. I have limits on my body. I have limits on my schedule. But God is limitless. So what do we do with that? Because most of us on our schedules, we feel so busy that we feel that. What do we do to get back some margin, to push back what's going on in our hearts? And so I want to tell you, when it comes to time, we do well to begin by thinking from God's perspective. Again, we find margin on the edges when we agree about what's central. And if God is the most important thing in our life, if we can think about this from his perspective. If you still got your Bible, let's read verses 10 through 12. Verse 12 is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Verse 10 says, Now the years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is full of toil and trouble. They're soon gone, and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? So teach us, if you like to write in your Bible, this is worth writing down. So teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Verse 10, the years of our life are 70 or even by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is toil and trouble and they're soon gone and we fly away. My grandparents uh, were my heroes it was like my mom was a single mom, so my grandparents stepped in and helped my mom uh, in a thousand ways. They have this lake house on Lake Sinclair in Millersville, Georgia. That may as well have been uh, just the, the greatest oceanfront like beach property ever. It was literally a single wide trailer that my granddad had enclosed an edge on. But like we thought we were so high class when we would go to that lake house and we'd spend Friday night and Saturday night or Saturday during the day fishing and then on Saturday afternoon my granddad would clean the fish and then my grandmother would deep fry the fish and we would eat the fish on Saturday night and have a feast. I I think about my grandparents and um, Sunday lunch. My grandmother would uh, just make a feast. It seemed like every Sunday after church, my favorite thing she would make was uh, ribs, barbecued ribs. And so she would spend all day Saturday cooking ribs and and then barbecuing on Sunday morning before we went to church, and then she'd bake them. And man, on Sunday afternoon, like she'd have cornbread and vegetables. We're getting hungry, aren't we, Miss Alicia? Yep. And uh, and then those ribs, and the meat, you would pick the bone up, and the meat would fall off of it onto the plate. And man, it was so good. And now you're like, all right, wrap this sermon up. We got to get to lunch. Um, at Christmas dinner, my grandmother hated, at Thanksgiving and Christmas, she hated turkey, and so she would make chicken, and I can still think about that chicken, and Mrs. Griffith's barbecue sauce, which is kind of unique to middle Georgia, and, uh, and we would have that, and um, man, that was my grandmother's, and, and for me as a kid, it seemed like anytime we ate with grandma and grandpa, it's the greatest meal you'd ever eaten in your life. 
And then I got to college, and because my college was closer to their house than, than ours that I grew up in, I would stay at their house a couple nights a week. And I noticed that there were a lot of, like, peanut butter and jelly or bologna sandwiches being eaten at my grandparents' house. And frosted flakes, or as my grandpa called them, post-toasties. I don't even know why he <laughs> called them that. I don't know if that's a southern thing, but he was like, you want a bowl of post-toasties? I was like, I don't know what you're talking about right now. And he would pull out Tony the Tiger, and you realize what's going on. Uh, or a, a lot of days were hard work. A lot of day, like, my memory as a kid was feasts, fun, and just the greatest thing ever. As I got older, I realized there was a lot of hard work. There's a lot of labor that went into that, and there were a lot of regular bologna sandwich, frosted flake kind of days. And that's what the psalmist is saying. Every day can't be filet mignon. In fact, in the great economy of God's kingdom, most days aren't anything like that. My grandparents ate a lot of Vienna or Vienna sausages. Did you ever eat those? A lot of processed meat in my family tree here. Uh, that's why I'm going to die uh, at a young age. Um, a lot of that stuff, a lot of regular days. Because you know what? That's, that doesn't make them atypical. It actually makes them very biblical and normal and like most of us. Most days are just regular days of hard work and toil and even trouble. So what do we do with that? This, where the span is toil and trouble. Every day is not a holiday or a feast. Some days, most days, are just regular days. So what do we do? Verse 12. So Lord... Teach us to number our days. You want to know how you get breathing room? Teach us to number our days that we might gain a heart of wisdom. There are two great teachers in life. I can't remember when I learned this. It's one of the greatest, like, proverbial, non-biblical, proverbial, biblically true things I've ever heard. There are two great teachers in life, wisdom and consequence. The way wisdom works, wisdom is seeing the world from God's point of view. It's understanding things from God's point of view, and that allows us to live differently. Consequence is learning from sin and failure. Both of them are fantastic teachers. Wisdom, though, allows us to learn without having to deal with consequence because we see things from God's point of view. Teach us to number our days so we don't have to learn from consequence. Teach us, God, to number our days to remember that we have limits and then In doing that, we'll have breathing room because if we don't, we know that we go off the edge and we do dumb things. We go off the edge. So teach us, God, to number our days so we don't have to learn by consequence. Renee, if you'll go to that next slide for me. To create breathing room, you start at eternity. Teach us to number our days. Help us remember we are dust and we will return to dust. We start at eternity, and we work our way backwards. So let's let's start at eternity really quickly, and let's do three benchmarks on how we spend our time. Let's think about one day, every one of us sitting here, and everybody in this neighborhood, and everybody on this planet is going to stand before God. And God, I think, and it's not going to be a literal conversation like this, but I think there are going to be two essential things that have to be addressed. The first thing I think that God would ask us Uh, would be, what did you do when it came to my son and the decision to surrender everything and follow him? Did you do that? The second question, and, and by the way, that's the whole thing. It's not like be more religious, go to church more, swear less. It's did we surrender to Jesus to follow Jesus? Did we turn from our sin and our self rule to let God rule our lives? 
And for those who answer yes to that, the second question will be, well, then in light of that, what did you uh, do with the time and the resources and the relationships that I gave you? Because you weren't the owner, you were the manager. And we'll have to give an account for how we manage the things that God has entrusted to us, that he's loaned to us. So start with your eternity self. Now, work back next to your deathbed self. Let's go there for just a minute. Will your deathbed self, how would your deathbed self view the way you're spending your time right now? You're sitting on your deathbed, your family's in there, and you're looking back, replaying your life like it's a movie. Would your deathbed self be comfortable with how you're leveraging your time right now? And then let's go back one more sort of stop, and we'll stop there. Think about your retirement party self, or uh, we've got some college students and high school and middle school, middle school students coming here. Think about your graduation day self. Like, will that self like how you're spending your time right now? I like to call it my cats in the cradle self. Do you remember that song from the 70s? I think it's Harry Chapin. Uh, it's like the most, this most depressing song. I literally don't listen to it at all anymore. You know, it's the first two verses that the dad's too busy for his kid. And then the third verse... You know, you get emotionally juked by the song and the kid's now too busy for his dad. Like, I think about that cat's in the cradle self. This week, I was really busy in the middle of something. Noah goes, Dad, do you want to play um, NBA 2K Live on uh, video game with me? And I really didn't, quite frankly. Like, I needed to do work. But I was like, hmm, you know, there's coming a day where this kid's not going to want anything to do with me. Might be a good decision to put down this work that's still going to be there tomorrow to create some breathing room and spend time with him. Because after God, Natalie and my boys are the most central thing in my life. And I can't let the stuff on the margins dictate what's central. And so I, I, I have to check, let my cats in the cradle, third stanza self, deal with where I am right now. Uh, Don't let the tyranny of the urgent dictate and strangle the eternally important. Don't let the tyranny of the urgent dictate and strangle out the eternally important. Teach us, Lord, to number our days so that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Renee, if you'll go to the next slide, if you don't mind. Uh, So our issue, and this is going to be profoundly offensive. What I'm about to tell you is so offensive to me, uh, and I had to, like, deal with this this week before I stand up here and tell it to you. Our issue, our breathing room issue with our schedules and our time is not a scheduling problem. It's a heart problem. Our breathing room issue or lack of it is not a schedule issue, but a heart issue. It's not external. It's an internal problem. In other words, if you ask me most days, how you doing? I'd be like, I'm doing fine. You're like, if you dug down, if Carson and I go to lunch this week at Bacon Truck Cafe, which is our, where we go on a date together sometimes, and, uh, and Carson's like, man, how are you? I'm, be like, I'm doing great. He's like, well, how are you really? I would probably say I'm busy. But the truth is I have a lot of wasted time. I went through this week and re-deleted my time waster apps. You know, the ones that will gobble up a couple of hours on my schedule before I even realize it. I say I'm busy. My schedule is not as busy as my heart is. I feel busy even though at times I'm not really that busy. I bet you feel busier than you actually are most of the time. And so in light of that, I just want to tell you, four or five bullet point theological, this is like 
biblically sound theology bedrock stuff about our time. God is eternal. He is the creator and inventor of time. God is also the creator and inventor of you and I. When you look in the mirror and you're like, man, I love this about me. I love this about me. God's the inventor of that. When you look in the mirror and you're like, I hate this about me. I, I hate that my hair is thinning. Owen comes up to me and just starts petting my head like I'm a baby bird. And, uh, and I'm like, oh, my hair is thinning. I'm getting older. I hate this. God is the inventor of that. And my child petting me on the head is thinning my hair uh, on top of that. God's the inventor of me. Time is his and I am his. Christian or not, time is God's and you are God's. He created you. Second, our default natural bent is to put ourselves number one. When it comes to our time, our default natural tendency 100% of the time, unless the Spirit of God does something in our hearts, our natural bent is always to put ourselves number one. That's why a very popular phrase in our culture is me time. I just need some me time. I just need some me time. Yesterday, we were on, I was on sensory overload, too much noise, too much movement, too much chaos. I told Nat, I was like, I just need to go home and sit in a dark room for 15 minutes and nobody talk to me and I don't have to see anything. I just need some me time. Of course I do. That's my natural bent is to put me first and to be selfish and lazy and unproductive. Um, or our other tendency is to just be people, because we think of time as ours, to be people-pleasing, driven trying to pre- impress somebody. I'm going to work. I'm going to get my kids into this school. I'm going to get into that college. I'm going to do all of this so people will be impressed with me or I'll be at peace with myself and all that. And we forget that God is the author, the creator of us. We don't have anything to prove, which leads to the third thing. Outward pressures aren't as much the problem as the problems are hearts. It's really busy hearts. We're selfish, we're restless because we're sinners and we need a rescuer. This is where I start getting offended because I like to think that the busyness and lack of margin in my schedule is a scheduling problem and it's everybody else's fault when really the problem is I'm restless and too busy and can't sit still because my heart is the problem. Lord, teach us to number our days that we would gain a heart of wisdom. The remedy is surrender. The remedy is surrender. Let me read you Jesus' words, not mine, in Matthew 11. You don't have to look it up. Jesus says to very overworked, busy, poor people, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and I'm lowly in heart. And you'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and the burden I have is light. The remedy is surrender, yoke exchange, slowing down our hearts, giving our busyness to Jesus, letting him have all of us, and then taking on his priorities, and then owning and repenting of the idols of our busyness. And I don't like that. I want to blame somebody else. The problem's my heart, and the problem is your heart. So the cure is to preach the gospel to yourself. We preach the gospel to ourselves and we tell ourselves, in Christ I am loved. In Christ I have nothing to prove. 
In Christ, God's got this. I don't have to work harder, labor more, try to be more impressive. In Christ, God's got this. I don't have to try to be so strong. Psalm 90.12, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Practically, because I don't want to just like, I don't want to leave you without some practical stuff, but I also don't want you to think that this is just a scheduling issue. It is a heart issue. But let me give you a couple practical things. First of all, on what you don't finish on Friday will still be there on Monday. A guy called me Friday. Friday's our off day because Sunday's a day of work for our family. A guy called me on Friday. He goes, J.D., this is urgent. I need you to do ba 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 by the end of the work day if you can. You know what's more urgent to me on Friday? Rest and spending time with my wife. So I bet you that thing he thought needed to be done by 5 is still going to be there tomorrow morning at 8.30. The work's still going to be there. My, the problem's my heart busyness. That work will roll over to the next week. Work will still be there. Your work will never be done. The Bible tells us. The Bible tells us. Our days are full of toil and trouble. The stuff will still be there. It will never be done. The third thing, practically, you can learn to say no. That is a learned skill. Just like Marie Kondo would say, go into your uh, closet and pull out your uh, sweater, your free Brady t-shirt that we haven't worn now in three years, and look at that and say, does this bring me joy? And if the answer is no, you give it away. That's the whole show. Ten episodes. Don't waste your time. That's it. That's what you do right there, okay? Like, there's the show. Yeah, seriously. Sorry to ruin it for you. It's just ten hoarders putting stuff in their face and saying, does this bring me joy or not? You, just like you can get rid of that stuff, you can learn to say no to things. When God is central, you can say no to stuff that's stealing your peace and your margin on the edge. Don't let others dictate the stewardship of your life to God. The next practical thing I'll tell you, turn off your devices. Just turn them off. Like, just, we've got to learn to turn them off and be present. To be quite frank, I can be so busy. In the past, when my children were, especially the first one, because there's like a a bajillion photos of the first kid and like seven of the next kid, you know. With that first kid, you get so busy documenting your life that you actually forget to live your life. Like, there have been times where we were on vacation, and I was so busy taking photos. Oh, man, this is incredible. It was like I was going to get home when I wasn't there and enjoy the photo I had taken. And I got convicted, and I put my phone down. I was like, you know what? I'm just going to be here like at this because this is really cool. And this photo, I'm going to miss the emotion of this moment because I was taking a photo of it. We've got to learn to turn our devices off. Take a day off. I, this is the thing, the practical thing I felt really guilty about saying because Boston so busy it feels like we have to work seven days a week 10 hours a day listen when God was laying down the 10 commandments of things that would orient our life around him and the freedom he brings he told us to take a day off if God took a day off every seven days you can take one and I want to affirm in you that I know it's a sacrifice to be here on Sundays it's commitment and I am so proud to be your pastor and to see you here week after week it's part of that prioritizing time and schedule like God does. And then, Renee, if you'll go to the last slide, because I think this is really good. I wanted you to see it. Live for maximum internal influence, not finite temporal success. Live for maximum eternal influence, not finite temporal success. Living, what that means is, 
Instead of starting right now and thinking, how can I be more successful in six months? Start at eternity and work your way backwards and prioritize the things that are going to matter and the things that are going to outlive you. A very practical way to do this, if you want a homework assignment, sometime this week, grab a sheet of paper and draw two chairs in the middle of a sheet of paper. One, I want you to draw a throne. Two, I want you to draw a rocking chair. One day you're going to stand before God's throne, and he's going to ask you what you did with your time. And if we're all lucky, one day hopefully we'll sit in rocking chairs as old people, and we'll look back on our life and what we value. My granddad had some scrapbooks when he started getting Alzheimer's that would help him to remember the things that he loved. And he would sit in his rocking chair in his office and show me the photos that I had seen a hundred times. It's like, yes, granddad, I know that was your Sunday school class in 1955. You know, I didn't appreciate that he was in that moment remembering back that he had invested in what mattered. So draw a throne and draw a rocking chair and then create a grid around the two chairs. And in the upper left part of it, I want you to draw out what is unnecessary and draw a red light beside that and list the things in your life that currently you're doing that are unnecessary. Wasted apps, you know, things that you, you just like, I don't need to be doing that. The next one right here, I want you, this is a yellow light area. These are the things that are necessary. What in your life do you do that's necessary? It might not be fulfilling, but it's necessary. In this quadrant, I want to encourage you to list the things that are productive. These are the green light things. And then in this area, list the things from God's perspective that are eternal. That's a green light with somebody honking at you because you're not going fast enough. Like, we need to be doing those things and prioritizing those accordingly. There's two places in downtown Boston that I go to feel the Spirit of God in closing. One is the Samuel Adams statue, and I'm just going to tell you the quote because I love it. Samuel Adams is attributed uh, with the statement that it does not take a majority to prevail, but rather an irate and tireless minority keen on setting brush fires of freedom in the minds of men. I just love that. So I go down to Faneuil Hall and stand at that statue and pray for our city and remember that it doesn't take a million Christians in the city to do anything. Jesus turned the world upside down with 12 men, and one of them was a traitor. Our country was founded not because everybody believed in the cause of an independent America, a free America, but because some people believed it so profoundly that they leveraged everything for it. So we don't need like a million Christians in this city. We just need people who are irate and angry with sin and brokenness and who are tireless working in God's energy at what God values. The second place I go feel the spirit of God is the old granary burial ground. Every time I go in there, I I think that John Hancock's uh, headstone or whatever you call it thing is ridiculous. Uh, I love going and standing by Sam Adams. Samuel Adams. I really just love, though, going to the, all the, the regular tombstones. When people were buried in the 17th century and the 18th century, most of the headstones had what was called death's head. We've all seen it. It's the skull with the angel wings b- behind it. People 200 years ago had much more of a sense that they were going to die. You know, most of them would bury multiple children when they had a family and would have kids. So death was just part of their everyday life. They understood that we were made both for today 
and for this earth and yet also made for eternity. God, teach us to number our days that we would gain a heart of wisdom. As we gain that heart of wisdom, we get rid of the stuff that doesn't matter. We begin to slough off the stuff that's unnecessary and unproductive in favor of what's eternal and lasting. Let me pray for us.